Tonight, I heard a group of human beings out-sing angels. Your singing was remarkable, and I was impressed. And I'm somebody who's gone to many worship conferences, and uh, it was just powerful. I am very honored to be here with you tonight. I have great respect for the Church of Christ. Three of your contributions come to mind. One of them is that you have taught the rest of the body of Christ that the most beautiful instrument ever created is the human voice. Can I get a little bitty amen on that from somebody in this room? <laughs> And I wish more Christians were acapellians. <laughs> Number two, you have taught the rest of the body of Christ that water baptism is far more significant than most of us have thought. Two amens. Am I in the right place? <laughs> Are you all part of the Church of Christ? <laughs> You're staring at me like the Amish in Best Buy. <laughs> and three, your founders drew a line in the sand and they left their mark by taking a stand that I think we all can applaud. And that is that the body of Jesus Christ is one and sectarianism is a stench in the nostrils of God. Amen. 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 And so for that, the Lord has used your part for his purpose. And I pray the Lord will bless you and bring you further into the riches of Jesus Christ as time goes on. And on the heels of all of that, I have but one request. Will you adopt me? <laughs> thank you, thank you. All right. I was asked to talk to you about the Christian's relationship to the world and to try to cover that subject in one session is like trying to put the Mississippi River in a teacup. It cannot be done. So what I thought I would do is share with you a few 
things about the subject that are on my heart. And I want you to know this, that I'm speaking to all of us. I'm not going to be giving you a method, a technique, you know, a new tip or any kind of tools to help you in your youth ministry. What I am going to say is this, that the most important ingredient to effective ministry in your life, that which eclipses everything else, is your own walk with Jesus Christ. You can have a notebook full of methods, techniques, principles, patterns, systems, structures, tips and tools, but that which trumps everything is your own walk with the Lord. And I'll tell you this, you know this, what I'm about to say, you know, but I'm going to remind you that the number one thing that the young people look at is your example in your life. That speaks far louder, far greater than anything you teach them. And I'm going to say something that you may not know. And that is that the people to whom you minister will be more apt to imitate your flaws, your weaknesses, and your eccentricities than your strengths. And that puts all of us who are in ministry in a position of great responsibility and fear and trembling before the Lord. So what I'm going to say to you about our relationship to the world affects you directly, affects me directly, and as a consequence, it will affect greatly our relationship with those to whom we minister. John chapter 3, Jesus is quoted as saying, For God so loved the world. In 1 John chapter 2, the apostle says, love not the world. So we have a contradiction. We're to love the world on the one hand, we're to love not the world on the other. And whenever the Bible presents us with a discrepancy, we need to draw a distinction. And in this case, it will help us out of the contradiction. The world in the New Testament is used in two primary ways. On the one hand, it refers to this blue-green ball that God spoke into existence and all of the people who inhabit it. So it speaks of the material universe. And God so loved the world. And because of his or by virtue of his resurrection and his ascension, Jesus of Nazareth is this world's true Lord. That's the world that God loves. That's the world that Jesus Christ right now, whether people recognize it or not, is Lord over. But the Bible uses the word, the world, the term, the world, in a different way also. It refers to a system, a network, a order of things that are designed to draw us away from God. John says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, 
And the pride of life is not of the Father, but it is of the world. And the world will pass away. And the lust thereof, but he or she that does the will of God will abide forever. James says, the one who is truly religious, spiritual, keeps himself, keeps herself unspotted from the world. James also says this, and this is pretty heavy, to be a friend of the world is to be an enemy of God. Jesus told his followers, he said, you are not of the world, therefore the world hates you just as it hated me because I'm not from the world. Paul said to the Romans, offer your bodies as living sacrifices and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed. Paul said in Galatians, I boast in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ through which the world is crucified to me and I am crucified to the world. Now, there is a lot going on today in the Christian world with respect to Satan in that many Christians now are doubting the existence of Satan. But Jesus said three times in the Gospel of John that Satan, he called him this, was the prince of this world. Paul in Ephesians called him the prince of the power of the air and he mentioned the principalities and powers of darkness that rule this world and in 2 Corinthians Paul called Satan the god of this world sisters and brothers the world system is just that it is a system it is an intangible network that stands behind all the systems on this earth. Politics, religion, government, economics, fashion, entertainment, commerce, business. And that system is designed to seduce you and me, to stir our desires and to capture us and pull us away from God. And Satan is the mind behind this system. The world, in this sense, the world system is his masterpiece. And it is a very real thing and it touches us all. We live in the world. We touch it every day. We see it. We hear it. We rub shoulders with it. And yet the call of God is to come out to be separate from the world in that sense. But on the other hand, to love the world, meaning the people who are in the world. And this is the great tension that, that strikes at the heart of every believer. There is a great picture in the Old Testament of the world, and it's Egypt. And it speaks of the pleasures and the sufficiency of the world system. It speaks of the materialism and the consumerism of the world system. 
But there are other cities as well. There's Ur of the Chaldees, which speaks of the idolatry of the world system. There's Sodom, which speaks of the lusts of the flesh that embody the world system. There's Babel, which turned into Babylon, which speaks of the religions of the world system. But Egypt is such a powerful example because God used a baptism to bring his people out. Paul said, and the children of Israel were baptized by Moses in the sea. And he brought his people out through a baptism in the sea and they severed all connections with Egypt and they left it behind. And that's what water baptism does today, properly understood. We come out of the world system. That which Jesus Christ has already crucified, we sever all ties with it. And we come under a new kingdom, a new civilization, a new creation that has a new head, a new Lord, and His name is Jesus of Nazareth. But the tentacles of Egypt are long and they stretch wide. And even though God's people left the city of Egypt and the city of Pharaoh, Egypt came calling after them. And so it is today with us. Historically, Christians have taken two postures toward the world system. And this is still with us right now as we live in the 21st century. One posture is that they have retreated from the world system and wanted nothing to do with the people of the world. And this is isolationism, basically. But another posture, and unfortunately this is rampant in our time, even among God's people who are serving the Lord, the other posture is to not recognize that there is even a thing called the world system. And thus to be captured by it and enmeshed with it and to become married to it. And that's accommodation, to accommodate the world system. And as someone once wisely said, he who marries the spirit of the world will soon become a widower. Because, sisters and brothers, the world system is doomed. It is under judgment and it will pass away. Well, Frank, what is the world exactly? Tell me in my life, what is the world? What in fashion is the world? What in entertainment is the world? What in business is the world? What in government is the world? What in politics? What in religion is the world? Tell me so I can separate myself from it. Well, if I answered that question, I will have become a legalist. Truly, truly, I would have. If you survey all the Christians on the planet today and you ask them what is of the world, you're going to get a million and three different answers. And it's going to vary. For some people, dancing is of the world. For some people, owning two television sets is of the world. For some people, driving an SUV is of the world. For some people, voting is of the world. 
For some people, if you don't recycle, if you don't recycle, then God's not happy with you. And on and on. Drinking alcohol, smoking cigarettes, chewing tobacco, kicking cats. It goes on and on. <laughs> you know? Shooting billiards, going to the movies, watching R-rated movies. You get my point. <clears throat> I cannot tell you what is of the world. But John helps us here. Because where he says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For all that is of the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. If you keep reading, he says this. And you have been given an anointing from the Holy One. And you know all things. And then he goes on and he says, You have no need that any man teach you. For that anointing that you have been given will teach you all things and will lead you into truth. And he is not a liar. Now, sisters and brothers, I realize that we have movements, past and present, that have given the Holy Spirit a bad name. I realize that there are movements that have abused the things of the Holy Spirit, that have exaggerated them, that have tarnished the blessed Spirit of God because of excesses, because of self-serving attitudes, because of hype, and a lot of bad teaching. But I want you to know this, that the Holy Spirit of God has not gone on vacation. He's still alive. He still speaks. He still works in the human heart. And you have been given the Spirit of God. For Paul says, if you do not have the Spirit of God, you don't belong to Christ in Romans 8. And he also said, they that are led by the Spirit of God are the sons and daughters of God. You have an anointing from the Holy One. You have the Holy Spirit who lives in you. And the Holy Spirit will reveal to you what is of the world. You don't need a man or a woman to tell you what it is. Because I'll tell you this right now. There are two kinds of legalists. The one kind of legalist is the person that's trying to work their way to salvation. Salvation by works, okay? Well, there are very few Christians that are in that camp. But there are an awful lot of legalists that fall into this other category, and that is, I'm going to take what the Holy Spirit has shown me personally, according to my own conscience, and I'm going to make that a law for you. So I believe the Holy Spirit has taught me to homeschool, for example. Therefore, you need to homeschool. And if you don't, you're in sin. You're part of the world. The Holy Spirit has told me not to vote, for example. If you vote, you're in sin. And on and on. You follow what I'm saying? Sisters and brothers, if you are living in close touch with the Lord. You have offered your body a living sacrifice. You have given Jesus Christ everything. 
you will know. Your spiritual instincts deep inside will tell you when you have touched the things of the world and when he is saying, come out from among them and be separate and touch not the unclean thing. You will know what is of the world and what is not of the world. He will put his finger on it. And it will not be the finger of condemnation. It will be the finger of conviction. And the Lord won't let it go until you deal with it. And praise the Lord when you do deal with it. Because we don't want to be captured in the world. We don't want to be pulled in the world. We are part of another kingdom. Which has its own Lord and ruler. And He gives us the true freedom. And the true hope and the true joy. The most miserable Christian, or I should say this, the most miserable person on the planet is a Christian who is living in a way that deep inside their hearts, their spiritual instincts are saying, give this up, cut this off, let this go. That is the most miserable person on the planet. Has anyone been there beside me? You have a resident boss who lives within you. And resident boss will put his finger on that which is of the world. And let me say this to you as well. The Holy Spirit in us operates the best in our lives. And we hear him the clearest when we're in community with other Christians. It's not just me and God. It's us and God. And that's why community is so important. We were meant... To live in a habitat, if you will. With other believers, hearing from one another, encouraging one another. And we can hear God the best and we can get in touch with the Spirit the best when we do that. Let me say something else to you about this issue of the world. And this is something that I think touches all of us who minister to others. And certainly will speak to you in your ministry to young people. But you cannot effectively penetrate the hearts of the people to whom you minister unless you yourself are living in the reality of what you're trying to proclaim. If, for example, you are a person who is captured by the world in a certain area, and by the way, the world has many tributaries, Okay, You can be free from one tributary, but be drowning in another. <laughs> all right, And that's true for all of us. But if you are married to the world in one area and you preach separation from the world to the people to whom you minister, then saints, your words will bounce off their hearts like rubber bullets. There will not be that penetration. And in the same token, if you preach... God so loves the world, and we need to love the world, the people of the world. But you don't have love in your heart for the world. Then your preaching is in vain. This is the mystery of ministry. And God has set the rules. It's not just a matter of words. Sometimes the Lord will use us despite of ourselves. But to be impacting and to be effective and to penetrate their spirits where the Holy Spirit of God will open their eyes and set them free, it has to be real in our lives. And that's why I'm speaking to you. That's why I'm speaking to me. 
The greatest asset you can have in ministry is your own walk with Jesus Christ. And so we need to be challenged and we need to encourage one another. Now let me say something else about our relationship to the world while I'm on this point. There are two lines in the scripture when it comes to reaching the people of the world with the gospel. One of them is the verbal proclamation of the gospel. The verbal telling, the heralding that Jesus of Nazareth is this world's true Lord and Savior. That He is the Son of God, that He died for the sins of the world, that He rose again on the third day and that He ascended into heaven and He is now enthroned as the Lord of this world and we are to bow our knees to Him. Okay, it is the verbal proclamation. Well, you know as well as I do that living in this world, in this country, in this time period, fewer and fewer people in our post-Christian world are receptive to that message. I mean, you go start proclaiming that and you're not going to have thousands of people listening to you. You might have thousands running from you, but you're not going to have a whole lot of people listening to you. Now, people will still respond to that, but it's going to have to be in season. They will have to be ready to hear that. The Lord will have to open the door of opportunity, as it says in Ephesians. And that individual needs to be ready to hear it, and the Holy Spirit needs to be leading you. Now, the book of Acts tells us over and over again that the Spirit of God was leading the apostles to present the gospel to different people. And sometimes the Spirit said, no, don't go there. Remember when Paul wanted to go into Asia? The Spirit said, nope, not ready yet. Time passed, and he went into Asia, and he had a lot of fruit there from his ministry. But when it comes to the verbal proclamation of the gospel, sisters and brothers, hear me. Be sensitive. Be sensitive to the timing of it, where the person is at the right place to hear it, where the Spirit of God is leading you to say it, etc. That will make all the difference in the world. And He will lead you if you ask Him to. But there's another line in the Scripture in the New Testament that we really gloss over. And we find it a lot in the epistles. It's all over the epistles. I find it fascinating. Now listen to this. I find it fascinating that in all the letters of Paul and all the letters of Peter and James, all of the epistles, there's not one word where Paul or Peter or James says, Hey, you guys need to get out and start preaching the gospel. Not one. And neither is it on the negative side. Hey, you guys aren't doing enough. You need to do more in preaching the gospel. There's not a hint of it. But I'll tell you what's there in spades. The message is simple. Your life. How you live, how you live in the job, how you live out in the world, how you live in the marketplace, embodies the gospel of Jesus Christ. You are a living letter written by the Spirit of God. And you give off the scent of Jesus Christ. 
Paul puts it this way. He says, you are light. Walk as children of light. Peter says it this way. He says, let your behavior be honest among the Gentiles that they may see your good works and glorify God. And he stole that from Jesus. Because Jesus said, let your light shine. Well, first he said, you are the light of the world. And then he said, let your light shine. Don't hide it so that men will see your good deeds and glorify God your Father. Paul said it this way, make the gospel by the way you live attractive to those who are without. It's all over the epistles. Your life is a living epistle. Your life is a living letter. You embody the gospel by how you live. I like how uh, Shane Claiborne put it once. He said, The gospel spreads best, not through force, but through fascination. The gospel spreads best, not through force, but through fascination. There was a, a woman, Christian woman named Sarah. She um, was hired in a new job. She began working there for two months. And her co-workers got to know her. And one day her co-workers were having lunch together. There were other women. Sarah was not present. And one of the women said this. I just found out that Sarah was a Christian. I didn't know she was a Christian. But when I found out, it didn't surprise me. And she said it in a positive way. I didn't know Sarah was a Christian. But when I found out, it didn't surprise me. That is powerful. I didn't know she was a Christian. In other words, she wasn't flaunting it. She wasn't pushing it. She wasn't religious. She wasn't self-righteous. She didn't wear it on her sleeve. She wasn't shoving it down our throats. I didn't know she was a Christian. But when I found out, it didn't surprise me. There was something about her that was different. There was a scent that was different. There was a hope. There was a joy. There was a love. There was something about her that was different. And let me tell you something, sisters and brothers. When you have that kind of a testimony, then when people are in need, and when they are ready to hear something, they will come to you and they will be far more open to hear you talk about your Lord. Far more open. This is why Peter says, be ready to give an answer to everyone who asks you about the hope that lies within you. There is a place for proclaiming the gospel. Yes, there is. But may it be done in season and at the direct leading of the Spirit. Proverbs says, a word spoken in season is a good thing. A word spoken in season is a word received. I didn't know she was a Christian. But when I found out, it didn't surprise me. God so loved the world, love not the world. 
There is a uh, passage in Ephesians. You all probably know it. Speak the truth in love. You heard that before, correct? Speak the truth in love. Uh, I don't know about you, but the way I heard that was that meant that somebody was going to rebuke me for something. Uh, And they may even excommunicate me from the kingdom of God. But they have to speak the truth in love. I'm speaking the truth in love, brother. Let me tell you what you did wrong. Well, when I read the epistles, letters of Paul especially, I find something fascinating. Number one, virtually all the letters he wrote, with the exception of Ephesians, he's writing to a church in crisis. Most of your New Testament is made up of letters written by an apostle to a church in crisis. And most of the time, those churches are messing up big time. They're doing something screwy, okay? Especially the Corinthians. All right? (laughs) Big mess up. What I find fascinating is that he spent most of his time in Corinth over against, you know, Galatia and and the other churches, Thessalonica and Philippi, uh, with the exception of Ephesians, the uh, the Ephesians. He spent 18 months there, and uh, they were messed up bunch. But what I find interesting, and this is number two, Paul had a way of getting behind the eyes of God and seeing the Lord's people through God's eyes instead of his own. And so, in all of these churches, including the Corinthians, he reminds them of who they really are in Christ. And then he says, because this is who you are, live this way. So to the Corinthians, he calls them holy ones. He says that actually to all the churches, to the holy ones. Wait a minute, they're not holy. Ah. But he says, you have been cleansed. You have been justified. You have been forgiven. He reminds the Corinthians, he says, your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. He reminds them of who they are. They're part of the body of Christ. If you read all of the rebukes that he has, the first thing he says to them is, Saints, this is who you are. And then he tells them, Live like it. You know, there was once a story of a turkey and an eagle. And the eagle was born, was separated from the mother, and was told it was a turkey over and over again was told it was a turkey and it believed it was a turkey until one day someone came and told the eagle what it really was its true identity and that day it soared that day it acted like an eagle and I believe that this is one of the major obstacles to the church of the living God today major struggles, major scourges, major plagues to you and to me and to the kids that you minister to, we don't know who we are. And if you don't know who you are, you will live through a false identity. 
The Christian life, brothers and sisters, is becoming what you already are. Let me run that by again. The Christian life is becoming what you already are. So I'm going to do a little exercise right now. I'm going to tell you who you are. Sisters and brothers, you're not trying to become light in the world. You are the light of the world. I'm quoting Jesus. You are the light of the world. You are the light. You are the light of the world put here on this planet right in the midst of Satan's territory to expose darkness by the light that you give. So my exhortation is don't hide your light, saints. Let it shine. You are the salt of the earth. The blood of Jesus has cleansed you from all sin. You are holy and blameless in His eyes. I quoted Colossians. You are holy ones, saints of God, children of God. You are not from this world. So don't be conformed to it. The love of God has been shed in your hearts by the Holy Spirit. Therefore... Love the world as God loves the world. Get behind the eyes of God and love it like He does. You are resident aliens on this planet. You are a colony of heaven that has descended to this earth to show forth what the kingdom of God looks like in your conduct. That's what the church is. A colony from another place. Jesus said... I am not from here. The Father has sent me. And then he turned around and said the same to his followers. You are not from this world. You're in it, but you're not from it. You are pilgrims and strangers here to this world system. You don't belong to it. You've been separated from it because Jesus Christ crucified it on his cross. And you're dead to it. And you are citizens of a new kingdom, a new civilization, a new habitat where Jesus of Nazareth is Lord of the world and all the kingdoms of this earth will become the kingdoms of our Christ and he shall reign forever. And he is reigning now. And we are those who bow the knee now, but one day all will bow the knee. This is who you are, children of light. You are not from the world, but you are for the world. Just as Jesus Christ was not from the world, but He was for the world. We're for the people of the world. We're for this earth because it belongs to God, but we have nothing to do with the world system. We use the things of the world without being entangled by those things. And one of the greatest things that you can do to the young people to whom you minister is to tell them who they are. Tell them who they are. If they're in Christ, saints, tell them over and over again that they're in Christ, that they're holy and blameless, that they're loved, the beloved of the Father, that they are light, that they are salt, and then encourage them, because you're this way, walk in it.
We don't walk to victory. We walk from victory. See, we have it all reversed in the Christian life. And we've been taught we're trying to attain to something. No, you already have it. You're complete in Christ. Now walk that way. This is a very powerful thing. That our eyes may be open to see how He sees us. And what He has made us. We are in Christ. This is Paul's term over and over again. 200 times in the New Testament. You're in Christ. Now let's walk that way. And I'll tell you something, if you can convey that to the people to whom you minister, first of all, if you can believe it yourself. Hey, I'm speaking the truth in love right now. I am telling you the truth in love. Believe it, saints. Receive it and live in it. Become who you are and then pass that on to the people the precious young ones to whom you minister. You are not from this world, but you're for the world. You're in the world, but not of the world. And they are as well. May the Lord make these words a living reality to all of us. Thank you very much. Amen. Let's take a minute at our tables right here. Just turn to the people beside you and share something that Frank said that uh, is going to stick with you. And you said a lot. You're like me. Both the pages in your book are filled up.